Welcome to Designing Hollywood Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Boutet, Jr. Designing Hollywood Podcast is dedicated to all things movies and the movie industry and its talented professionals. Our guest today needs no introduction. She's a costume designer, has worked with the likes of John Boyega, Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Jason Statham. Her major credits include Creed II, Pacific Rim, Uprising, Spectral, all three Expendable films, and the 2008 film Rambo. And most recently, she is responsible for creating the unique superhero specialty costumes for the new number one in the world series, Netflix Jupiter's Legacy, based on the comic books by Mark Miller and Frank Quietly. This show also launches Miller's Universe Miller World. Um, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce my friend, the humble rock star, Liz Wolf, to Designing Hollywood. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that is a mouthful and I can't <laughs> believe it belongs to me. It definitely does. <laughs> so we definitely, Love. what we like, what we like to do is I always say we start out with the boring question because everyone wants to know, but what was your, what was your aha moment? What, what made you come to being a costume designer? Well, the, one of the things about my um, inauguration into costume design um, and much like a lot of the other um, costume designers, it was purely by chance. But um, in order to kind of tell that story, I want to back up to um, a long time ago when, my, you know, I'm a big cinephile. I love movies. Um, I don't come from a Hollywood family or anything like that was born and raised in California. But my mother had um, some dabbling in set design. She was a, a an interior designer and she thought she'd try set design at some point and we were watching the academy awards and of course <laughs> i i'm going to get the year wrong because i'm not great with numbers right now but uh i want to say early 90s and um no i'm sorry i'm going to start that over again we were watching the academy awards it was the year the elephant man was nominated and i had just had an emotional breakdown in a theater with my mother um, with that um, movie. And we came home and we were discussing it and she said, oh, you could really be really wonderful at designing um, sets or costumes for film. And I was like, you know, like you do to your parents at that age. I think I was 16 or 17. I'm like, please get out of my life. I'll, you know, I'm gonna do something else, which probably was you know, not in my thinking for sure to do that. And um, she said, you should write the producers of that movie a letter and tell them how much you want to get into the film business. I was like, you know, get out of here. I don't want to get into the film business. So um, that story can sit on the shelf for a second. <laughs> Some years later, same scenario, always watching the Academy Awards with my mother. And um, <laughs> one of our favorite films wins for Room of the View. And here up walks this woman and she's, you know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. um, up walks this woman, she is accepting her Academy Award. And I'm like, oh, you know, like at that point I had already decided I was really in love with costume, but not as a profession. And she turned to me again and said, oh, Elizabeth, you should write that costume designer a letter. I mean, as if. Uh, and tell her that you really want to work with her. And I said, you know, again, I had to put my mother in a, in a box and send her off somewhere. I was like, nope, that's not happening. 
Well, I will tell you that as a matter of not happenstance, but I believe in destiny very strongly. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Both those people walked into my life many years later and not because I pursued them. Jonathan Sanger, who was the executive producer on The Elephant Man, has given me more career opportunities than anyone. Um, and and <laughs> that was crazy and suspicious. And then when I met Jenny Bevan, who was the woman who won the Academy Award for Room with a View, obviously, um, some 25 years ago, she walked into a hotel room and I visually put the two and two together and I was like, oh my God. And much like everything else in my life, I became intimidated when I saw somebody that like, you know, I felt like, you know, had a, had a lot over me. And I was like, I have to tell you this funny story. And sure enough, like we became fast and furious friends. She is the godmother of my son. She is responsible for me having a child. She's, I've worked on many, many films with her. Mm-hmm. So part of my story is serendipity, I believe, and destiny. Um, but the, the actual um, way I actually got into this business mm-hmm. um, was a friend of mine, Beverly Klein, asked me to, I was fresh out of fashion school. I, I lived in London and I came back and she knew I knew how to make things. And they were doing a one season. It, they didn't know it was one season at the time. This is how ironic things are. A one season superhero show called Once a Hero. And she handed me some fun fur and told me I needed to make a tuxedo tails um, set out of fun fur. And, mm-hmm. and if anybody's ever eased a sleeve with fun fur, they know that that's damn near impossible. So um, when I delivered that to the set, it was my first experience on the set. And um, somehow I got hired to come back and make more things. I made some stuff for a movie called Heathers and I ended up being on the set. And, um, you know, I basically just from there worked my way up, you know, I just, I had a set of very iconic experiences that just heavily imprinted me. And I got this insane rush being around those circus types that I felt like I belonged in <laughs> and um there you go that's my story I love that especially just talking about how like there's like there's a path we always talk about different pathways in terms of how people got in and depending on it so there's like the manifest part of like saying like I want to do this or I want to meet this person or I want to work with this person um, and it feels like you had a little bit of that mixed in with a lot of bit of like hard work and then just kind of putting yourself in those positions but then also having someone like Ginny Bevan who is amazing nicest woman on the planet um love her to death um so it's good to hear that kind of that kind of you know, how those things kind of come in line because other people are like, oh, you know, I was in this way or I was in this part of the industry or I didn't know anything about it or I moved from a small town. So it's always nice to hear how you come at that. Um, I definitely thought I was going to do fashion. I never thought I was, I went to fashion design school. To be honest with you, it was a ruse to be able to stay in London. I kept getting deported and I just wanted to be there (laughs) and hang out with famous people, which were very accessible at that moment. And, um, I know we've talked about this. I I was an extreme, uh, visually extreme person, and I blended into you know the bad cave and all the 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 club life there. So anyway, that actually also very much imprinted me for the f- full fantasy life that I am now living. 
Do you do you remember within those within those moments? Um, what are some of the uh, more enjoyable memories that you have of that time? Um, of my career or living in London? Um, like living in London and even transitioning into your career. Oh dear. I mean, I just think one of the, a, a big moment for me was I moved there. <laughs> I worked at a clothing store on Melrose called Flip. It's a famous mm -hmm. clothing store. And um, through that experience, I met somebody who was um, on his way to being very famous. Mm -hmm. um, and he sort of said, oh, you should move to London because I'm moving back. And uh, I just, I'd never been there before. I just moved there. And um, mm -hmm. like I said, it's not like now where if you want to meet somebody or you think, hey, I'd really like to, you know, have a drink with Justin Bieber. That's damn near impossible. But yeah. I moved there. And the day after I moved there, I went out with uh, this friend of mine that had invited me to move to London. And I walked into a club that was um, full of every single pop star from I think this was like 1980 oh my god I'm dating myself 1983 and I mean every person you could imagine like everybody the cure the this the, the I mean I just was wow. like there they are and I just you know those kinds of things just don't yeah. happen anymore um yeah. there's that was a big huge moment um for sure and then what about what about what about memories like in terms of like projects that you've worked on at large like do you like what are some of your favorite memories of the project that you've worked on well it, i probably will come as no surprise that jupiter's is is one of my favorite enjoyable moments but mm -hmm. the 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 journey to that was um one of my most enjoyable moments was the day I got the job interview with Sylvester Stallone. Because mm -hmm. um, I kid you not, that was an incredible thing for me. I had absolutely no interest in doing a Rambo film, I can assure you. But I, <laughs> I just wanted to meet what was like my hero when I was younger. You know, he had such an enormous impact on me. And um, I hadn't designed a show in a long time. I was just coming off Dreamgirls and um, I um, I walked into his, like I knew one of the producers and I said, oh, can I please have an interview? And um, he wouldn't give me the script. So I walked in there without the benefit of reading the script, basically set up to fail as far as I was concerned, but it didn't matter. I was going in there and, and despite me being a completely shy person, and that is not a joke, um, <laughs> I just, barged right in that office. I sat down. We started talking about things that um, were really unlikely. We forged this conversation about like the deadliest catch and our love for reality TV. And um, he stood, and he was choking me with a cigar smoke. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not gonna survive this interview. And I was sure that I was sweating and looking you know, like an idiot, but he did put me very much at ease. Um, and he felt so familiar because I had been, you know, obviously so taken by Rocky and then, mm -hmm. you know, it just made such a huge impact. I felt like I knew him. Long mm -hmm. story short, after the choking smoke cleared, he stood up uh, and said, okay, nice to meet you. 
I walked out of the office and um, I heard him scream, the producer who I know's name, Matt, come here. And as I got to the bottom of the stairs, um, Matt came running after me and he said, you're hired. Wonderful. He said, no one's going to come in here that prepared. And I was like, that's outrageous. I didn't even have a script. <laughs> <laughs> That actually, that launched my career. He definitely took a chance on me and that started a 16 year relationship with somebody that I'm really, really proud of, of that relationship, um, you know? And I guess one of the other biggest moments is, is Baby It's You, which was, um, mm -hmm. I did a play on Broadway. Um, that experience very much parallels um, Jupiter's legacy, where I had, I had somehow skipped over theater altogether and just done, I was mostly doing set and then I became an assistant. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. I've done, a, I've done every job in the costume department, but yeah, I did I was not in, I had not done theater and Jonathan Sanger, who you'll remember from your first question, yeah. called me up and said, do you want to do this play? And it's a little theater. We're just trying to, um, you know, provoke financing to take it to a bigger theater. And this is a director from Broadway. He has many plays on Broadway at the moment. What do you think? And I was like, what am I going to say no to that? And right. again, my world just took another direction um, that I was not pursuing. And it really just, um, it really was one of the most incredible experiences I have ever had. I had so much responsibility, wigs, makeup, 450 costumes, head to toe, making shoes, making jewelry. Um, but every night sitting in that theater for months with like no pay, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, theater does not yield any financial gain unless it's a huge success and you've got multiple right. ones going. Um, and that's why, that's where the never, never for money, always for love came from. But exactly. Um, Right. But the reality is when those it was about the Shirelles and it was a big Warner Brothers musical. And when they walk through this curtain, tear off their dresses, it's pouring rain, uh, tear off their dresses and come out within three seconds in a totally new dress mm -hmm. that I had, you know, been working on as an engineer for many, many months. You know, it just takes your breath away. And to hear the songs and to, you know, and, and feel all that emotion and the audience reaction, it's, it's just kind of crazy. I love that, actually. I love that you get, especially when you get those moments where you're saying you get the reveal and you can, and, and, and the liveness of it, watching people react to something that you know that you've created. And also, there's something as an artist that's really uh, fun about you, you put so much into your artwork and into like what you're crafting, that participation of people giving you something back or like them responding to it in a way that you didn't even expect or them seeing something in it that you didn't um, even intend is always just the best moment. I think one of the best moments that you could possibly have just like that. It's just, it's unexplainable. I agree. I don't, I, th I think that um, that that lit me up like a Roman candle every single night. And it is those details that someone in, you know, wrote, 98 actually picked up on and we'll meet you at the mm -hmm. stage door and say oh my god and i love that little crystal twinkling in the back of you know 
one of the Shirelle skirts or, oh my God, you know, Rock and Robin, that was in the, you know, it's just whatever it was. I just thought, oh my God, the details pay off. That very much, again, uh, helped me with, it helped me with everything I've done since, but I mm -hmm. know that the details matter. Do you feel as though, um, so like the details, obviously that you have to do for like stage and, and, um, and stuff like that, or like moving into transitioning into film and things like that. Do you feel, um, like that there are differences or do you feel like you kind of just do like the attention to detail? Cause I think you're known for attention to detail as well. Do you feel like you give different details to certain aspects than you do now? Like in terms of doing bigger films and stuff like that or is it kind of the same? Um, I think that's just, um, you know, I'm a very detail oriented mm -hmm. person. Um, I probably have a, a fair amount of OCD and perfectionist issues like everybody else, hopefully like everybody else, because I want to feel like I'm not alone. Um, but, um, you know, I just, I mean, you know me, you know, one of my uh, personal directives is, is go big or go home. Yes. And, and, and those, those big things are sometimes minute details. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm equal parts storyteller, um, artist, problem solver, forensic anthropologist, alchemist, and then of course I'm a comedian. So like <laughs> all of that, you know, all combined. Maybe I'm all, I know I'm also a little bit of a marathon runner, but you know, I'm not the, not the fastest. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the tortoise. Um, but you know, it's, those details and sticking with them is really just it can be about endurance you know it's just hanging out and making sure that if if those kinds of things have been approved and the and the director or the person with the vision that you're working with collaborating with likes those things and then you're responsible for making sure that they happen because these nuances are huge in in telling stories it's a completely agreed. And I think that that's something that I find, I find that it kind of tra it transcends at least the details. It's, um, I feel that they make you a better designer on the whole. I think it's how, like, we'll get to it, but I think it's how the costumes for Jupiter's turned out so well. Um, it's because your attention to detail really wouldn't allow, um, it wouldn't allow them to go into a place that felt generic. Um, I remember sitting with you with certain instances with certain costumes on that job specifically and you're just like it must be this and you're trying to get it out of your head and onto the paper um so i think that that skill just even for our viewers like knowing that you have this uh this sense of uh, of attention to detail i think you guys should really pay attention to the fact that it does translate not only to the character it makes the character feel like a real person and it's intangible and it's something you can't buy and liz very much so concentrates specifically on that so definitely something to like look out for in her work as well um i want to say your stuff is pretty inspirational what inspires you what are some things that in, that inspire you well, I'm, I'm a huge cinephile. So um, uh, the funny thing about inspiration is, is that it can come from anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'm also a latchkey kid. And <laughs> I watch oh, so much. Oh, I haven't heard that term in a long time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I had a working mother who like, you know, if, if I succeeded anything, she, she made me who I was. She was a warrior. She went out every day. And, and we took care of ourselves. And we sat in front of that TV 
Um, and I think like there were a lot of things in television that <laughs> definitely are connective tissue to why like I have been working with Stephen tonight, but like, mm -hmm. um, you know, everything from like Gigantor to the Sid and Marty Croft era, you know, shows, Johnny Quest, and then, you know, really most importantly was Batman. I mean, I could not get enough of that. And I, I became obsessed with, with uh, superheroes right then and there. I wasn't a comic book reader. I, you know, I was being dealt a visual hand there that I just was like, oh my God, I gotta keep playing that. If that show ever gets canceled, I'm just gonna, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I became like a total and complete nerd at that point. And, um, you know, rather obsessed with Batman. Um, so that that's something that I mean I'm I'm not going to shy away from that I'm proud of that that definitely inspires me but you know I will watch anything I'm I'm definitely um I I like so many things I very much like films of the 60s um that's a big influence on me mm -hmm. um you know foreign films that are just you know, seminal in, in telling visual color stories and things you can immerse in, like in the mood for love, Mad Max, Dangerous Liaisons, mm. Seven Samurai. I mean, I'm a big Terrence Malick file. So like, um, sometimes I like to dabble in the nonlinear, but um, The Thin Red Good. Line is one of my favorite movies, you know? And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people are always like, what? <laughs> that and With Nail and I, which is, you know, pure science yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I think that that's, that's a micro, ugh, microcosm of some of my inspirations, but like, in terms of inspiring us um, for what we do, I mean, mm -hmm. it can come from so many areas. It, it really like, that is, that's crazy where it can come from. So we just talked about a lot about uh, inspirations um, and things that inspire you, but also a lot of positive things um, in terms of just like how you work through things. But I want to know how you work through challenges. What are your what are the main what are some challenges you face or how do you work through them when they arise? Well, I think costume design as a whole is really just a, a series of challenges. It's, um, you know, a little bit of like an obstacle course that you sometimes are running blindfolded with, with only the destination um, as a goal. Um, and so I, you know, being able to pivot and be flexible, um, that's, that's key. I know that pivot is actually um, the moniker that our Stephen tonight gave me because as you're, you know, running down this road to do things and people are throwing nails into the road and bombs in your way, um, which very often happens, not intentionally, they're not doing that to hurt you. Um, but it's just, that's the way this business is. Um, you know, I personally just turn another way and look for another solution. And, and that to me is one of the best tools in this business is to just, you know, never, I mean, I, never get too attached to things um, because ultimately, you know, a lot of this is just predetermined and or will change on the day. Mm -hmm. So that flexibility is really key. Um, and I think one of the big things is, is um, that I'm, you know, I really like the art of war. It's not a joke to me. I carried it around. It was in my drawer at, at mm -hmm. Jupiter's. It definitely was. 
Right, and it was re it's regarded as many pe uh, from many people as a Bible, you know, for the Bible for the battlefield, but it really really plays heavily into our lives. Um, but um, one of the you know some of the other things that I know are really challenging is that we we don't get enough prep time um, and mm -hmm. um, having to deal with you know there's there's you spend a lot of time on a show defending your budget when yeah. you know this is supposed to be creative work and those conversations are just too much and they really take the mojo out of everything and mm -hmm. and it you can't leave it to somebody else because you are the defender of the dollar and it's it's you know we just spend way too much time doing it especially since it's not offset by what's going on with our you know pay equity it's not something that um, you know, I think there should be a little more understanding from producers and our peers about what it is we actually do. Um, and that is a, to me, that's a big challenge. It's, it's a huge challenge. And so along with all the other things that we are, an educator is part of that, you know, constantly having to, um, redefine and explain yourself is, is a challenge. It shouldn't really be part of this experience. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's other little things, you know, like foreign, foreign hires, which I'm extremely famous for. Um, mm -hmm. You get sit down in a foreign country where absolutely nobody speaks English. There's not even a recognizable alphabet and you're doing interpretive dancing and hand puppetry <laughs> to get done. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm sure I wasn't hired for those skills, but those are challenging and, and I've made them all work. I've, I've never had a bad experience and I always walk away thinking like this um, is uh, such a full experience and I always am in love with the people that I've worked with, but it's, it's hard. It definitely can be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, I um, your your story brought up a, a memory for me, um, which is I was at working um, with uh, costume designer Jeffrey Curland at uh, Bill Hargate Costumes, and um, Aiko Ishioka was upstairs working on the Broadway. She was working on the Broadway. Um, uh, it was, I think it was the, the Broadway Spider-Man. I forget, like Spider-Man Rocks or something like that. And so I asked mm -hmm. if I could go up and meet her. And so I met her and she, I started asking her about her career and stuff. And the funniest memory that I have of her is she says, costume design. She, she speaks very, you know, eloquently. She's like, costume design is full of despair and a little bit of hope and despair <laughs> like, like it was so, it was so dramatic but i remember thinking about it and thinking like yeah like it's got a lot of challenges so you, when you're talking about the challenges that's one thing that always comes into my mind is her head saying costume design is full of despair and a little hope yeah that's a, bill, that's a billboard yeah <laughs> that's a billboard you know and that's not a joke i mean Costume design is just all things. There's a Venn diagram and everything that we've talked about so far is an equal part in that pie. You know, yes. it's just, um, and there's more to it. You know, I, I'm sure collectively in a think tank, you can get costume designers together and there's, you know, uh, emotional intelligence and psychology and definitely despair. And, you know, like, wow. it's just all these things. You've got to put them all in, in the hopper to have a, uh, the armor that's necessary to do this job. 
Well, I think also you too, know? it's like, it's fun because you break through that point. And then the hope that she was talking about is you get that finished product and there's that gleaming beam of hope that comes where everyone's like, yeah. everything's fine, you know, but getting there can be a process. Um, and speaking of process, I want to ask you, um, because I think that it's one of those things, especially for people that are listening, training. Training is super important. So it's one of those things where what, what would you give to the next generation of designers uh, career-wise in our industry as far as like what could you, what would you want to talk to them about? Well, um, it's a little bit reflecting on just, I kind of threw a little bit of my antidote about that out already. But like I, people always ask me, um, how they can get into this business or whatever, you know, what steps could they take? And a lot of times it's funny because it's at zero hour at a retail store and you're like rushing to get that wonder bra back to set. <laughs> um, whatever the story is and someone, you know, hands you uh, their phone number on a, on a receipt or something. And I think a lot of people don't understand how much you kind of need to absorb um, before you can just a costume designer I think that's true even for you know the set costumer there there's yeah. a heck of a lot of, of of steps and it's a full-bodied experience I know that um, it does take emotional intelligence and a mm -hmm. knowledge of psychology patience um, attributes of design sewing draping pattern making you know sketching that's obviously important to doing this job and if you aren't able to do all those jobs um, you should try to at least get into the process of the people that you're working with because mm -hmm. um, learning everything makes you a better designer. You know, right. absorbing as much as you possibly can and never ever be afraid to say you don't know what something is or how to do it because, you know, they're, they're, those are profound learning experiences because it's not all about going out and shopping. It's not right. all about you know, assembly. It's not about something as, you know, precise as color theory. It's, it's all of that. And I, and I think you have to have a pretty blended, um, stiff drink of, of all those things to really make it, uh, in this business. I, I think that's what makes us everlasting, you know, um, and, and able to endure this kind of work because it's, it is supposed to be creative, but it can be like a lot of the things we've talked about. It can be pretty challenging. It can be. I think it's one of those things that I want to, I actually want to, want to transition into because of the challenge. There's a, a beautiful challenge that we both just went through together, which was Jupiter's legacy. And I think that people really want to hear about this because these costumes are uh, incredible. Um, so I'm going to ask you some questions about that now, which the first one would be, uh, we had the fortune of having executive producer Stephen S. Knight. Uh, who previously did Marvel's Daredevil. He helped them get that off the ground. Um, he was a huge proponent of bringing on the costume department very early and as early as possible. Um, so walk us through that rare and very uh, fruitful decision. Because <laughs> um, it's very yeah. rare. <laughs> I agree. I mean, as you know, this is a very rare opportunity for yes. a costume designer. Uh, to be brought on this early, and then to to be able to quickly assemble a visual development team, and I, I just want to say thank you to uh, Marvel and DC for taking a hiatus because I was able to grab <laughs> <laughs> the top of the line 
Um, not just visual development, although that was the a massive kickoff, um, but everybody because they 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 had nothing in their pipeline and I just scooped everybody up. But um, you know, he he was really one of the first people to, that I've ever worked with to go to bat for a costume designer like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you know it had a lot to do with the relationship that we had um, developed from working together previously. And he and then really gave me the confidence to go out and do that. And Netflix's um, uh, belief in what we were doing also, because, you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. I've never done superheroes like this before. Um, and so it, it gave me the confidence. I know that confidence spilled out into um, all of us. You know, I know that I remember us getting very, very excited when Mark Miller responded to some of the designs. And that was really the catalyst of confidence that allowed us to just keep going. Um, but, you know, hello, there's a fair amount of responsibility when you're being given the task of mounting the jewel in the crown of Miller World. It's just a little like daunting to say, <laughs> lack of a better massive. term. Yes. And so I think that just meant all of us had to bring our A game. Um, with that opportunity, there was no way that we were going to be able to. Um, you know, just sort of sit back and it certainly wasn't going to design itself. And there was right. incredible seminal work, um, but we had to elevate that. We had to expand upon that. So um, I just think just to sort of summarize the, the early experiences that mm -hmm. I hope this breaks ground on more costume designers being brought in um, to be able to, to do this because um, Stephen, and Netflix saw the, you know, invaluable input that we were going to give and how the costumes inform this story 100%. Yeah. Um, and not having us on would have been a mistake. I mean, there's so much more to it because obviously we, uh, we were able to influence certain things that we can expand upon that. Maybe you have a another question yeah yeah i think i think that the the early decision to bring in um to bring everybody in was really good just because like i want to say um in world building there's so much that goes into world building and in character design which is inherently what costume design is um the longer you know the longer you have in certain instances to really dive into who someone is the more details you can bring out so a lot of the details that Liz was putting into the costumes the intricate elements or the thought process processes came from having that breath of fresh air from Stephen bringing us in early enough to be able to sit down with someone and truly figure out who they are instead of doing something that felt generic and then that became more intricate and more detailed and more layered and more peppered um, and so I hope that it also inspires or encourages producers especially on shows that require a massive amount of world building to have the creative team come on um, you know creative costume team to come on early enough to make those decisions decisions because it just hands down affected the show in the best way possible. It was a really smart decision, um, one for which we're grateful to have had, you know, um, 
But I was going to say, you know, I have to ask you this because you brought it up or you mentioned it. We have to talk about visual development. Uh, you had a, a massive visual development team, which we called VizDev is usually our visual development is usually called VizDev. And we all started calling it LizDev. So we had our own we had our own LizDev team. Talk about that for a minute. Well, I mean, I did touch on that. <clears throat> yeah. In the book that I wrote about this. <laughs> I I, it was luck. It was total luck that, um, you know, I think you were the first person that came on, then Jason, whom I never met before. Um, the little secret in that piece of pie is, <laughs> the Easter egg is, is that um, I had gone to another costume designer friend of mine who is um, an empress of, co of superhero costumes and asked her for advice and how yeah. to run, you know, I wasn't gonna run an empire, but I certainly had a massive world to develop here. And um, in that meeting, I went into her visual development department and, um, you know, there were two um, illustrators in there, one of which I knew and the other person sort of quietly handed me a piece of paper with somebody's phone number on it and said, oh, you should call this guy. And it turned out to be Jace. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that, that actually like the two of you work so well together and you already had a shorthand and you and I started working really well together, um, and developed a quick shorthand. He came on and then I think you went to off for a minute and then came back. He and I just sort of like sat there and I just was like, you know, I, I know I'm not supposed to fall in love with the people I work with, but like I'm in love with everybody in this department right now. P.S. It was only four people at that moment. I but I learned <laughs> to share <laughs> because then Luca came on. Um, we had Raf, and mm -hmm. you know Raf's experience coming from um, one arena into the other, and mm -hmm. and you know he got to grow and evolve. It was just like. I don't know that I've ever had a more synergistic relationship with anybody as I did with you guys. And, and that is, some, and we, you know, we, we all talk and we all joke and we all want to get back in the, you know, the room together. It was something pretty special. I will say, so our team too, we had, I think over time we had like, we ended up with like <laughs> six concept artists and I think three or four graphic designers. I mean, it was a massive department just in terms of even the ideation and the creation. Um, Netflix was incredibly supportive during the process of making the show. And we had this like massive resource of a compound in a place in which we worked um, in, in crafting this show. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what we had in terms of our development? Um, you mean in terms of what we had, I'm sorry, I kind of missed. Oh, sorry. No, in terms of like our space, like we, they provided us a lot of space and resources. Oh, the schoolhouse. Yes. So um, <laughs> one of the, one of the greatest tools that this department had was I had um, a supervisor who, Linda Matthews, who I had learned, um, she had been a mentor to me a long time ago and she has a mm -hmm. career i mean a, a resume that is so impressive and i always think about one of the biggest projects that always comes to my mind is blade runner 
the mm -hmm. again the coincidental thing is is that in Toronto we also had an equally amazing uh, supervisor Corey Virgil and she had done Blade Runner 2049 so I just felt like I just have the best fusion going on here it's all like-mindedness but um, I digressed um, she went and and told Netflix you know we had figured out how many people we thought we were going to have to have we set up um, a workshop we wanted to make our own uh, costumes as well as parse off some of the other bigger costumes because let's just touch on this for a second there were 45 new superheroes and villains original some had no wait wait wait, wait. say it again 45 45 originally there were 45 we we i think that got cut down by like four four or five 45 and then, and then the multiples and then the multiple. So what I want to say, just backing up really quick so that our audience is aware of this 45. So basically what Liz was tasked with was doing the 45 new superheroes, villains, things right with multiple costumes because there's stunts and all that other stuff, but also then translating some of them into contemporary costumes, what they wear when they're regular people and into period costumes. So this was a massive show. And um, that translation um, in terms of all of the different costumes overall with 45 people is literally like if you took uh, uh, one of the other more established cinematic universes, but did it all at one time. So not over multiple movies. It's like she had to do that zero to something. So continue because it was a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and none of that would have been possible without each and every person in this department. We had, you know, yeah. at the end, I'm going to skip to the end because yeah. um, having having good people around you is what makes that story a success story um, or that odyssey a success story. Um, we had 120 plus people, three countries, and um, it was it was a hell of a thing. And And, you know, it's it would not have been possible. Um, and yes, there are <laughs> there are three concurrent worlds, an elevated contemporary world, um, a, a 1929 period, um, and the superheroes, which, you know, clearly um, they were very dominant and they took a lot of my time. And, um, but every costume on this show, I mean, there were days very much like I was looking for the cloning machine because I, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to make it to the next day. I just mm -hmm. wasn't, um, because I was mentally exhausted, putting on different thinking caps to walk into different areas of our school, which we're back to. Um, Linda found this abandoned school, um, and it was one of a choice of different um, locations that Netflix wanted to put us in. And she brought yeah. me back the drawings of it, and I was like. I don't know about that. She's like, and look, here's your office. Here's visual development's office. And here's where the, 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 um, this team will go. These people that are doing the period tailoring, there was a space for everybody. A and space on top for every that, single person. Every single person. And we had 3D modelers. We had our own scanning. We had multiple teams of superheroes um, being assembled. We had, um, multiple teams of of men's and women's tailoring going on um we had 
aging and dying and, and the, the vats of the aging and dying pots were as big as my living room. You know, it was, it was a, a lot. I mean, a lot's been cut out of this show. So when yeah. we say epic, we really mean it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, for sure. You know, there's, wanna, a, there's a, sorry. No, it's okay. I just want to say, I, I do want to, I want to back up to this because it does speak to costume design at large and also the resources that are allowed to the department. What I saw with this particular, for anybody that's watching that that's thinking about this or like, or that has the resources or the means to be able to provide space and things to costume designers is what I, what I saw in that it's, it's like, uh, like a, like a chef, like a recipe, right? You're only sometimes as good as your ingredients. So the ingredients that you have and the love and the care that you put in there will come out in the finished product. With this, because of everything that Liz just said, the room for everything, the different things, all the stuff that we had, this compound like set us up for this place where it's just like you had the best possible means of succeeding instead of being set up to fail. So the dye vats, the scanning, all those things were in one place and it really did become like a compound of costume design um, that ultimately is the difference between being handed like a home kitchen or like a master chef kitchen. It was, it was, it was a massive difference and I just want people to get that and to understand that those things do make a difference. So continue this. Sorry, I just, I had to say that because it was such a big... Well I appreciate you weighing in because I, I, I think that that's right. It was a recipe for success yeah. and it was a compound. Yes. But it was also like, I was the CEO of a big company. We never wanted it to feel corporate, but it hundred percent felt like as I was traveling through the expanse of that building, going from different, you know, we had assistant designers for, um, you know, the, the period over here and we had assistant designers for the superheroes over here. And there was just, you know, it just felt like literally like undercover boss. Like I'm running around, like talking to people going, how's it going in here? Like it, it, it was, it was a crazy and, but the best opportunity ever. I, I hope that this again, will allow other people to share in that unique experience because I, I you do a lot of good when you're in a in an environment that you can thrive like that. Well, you also did some because of you had this compound or like this like this place that we call work, but then you also did some pretty interesting new new things. So tell me about the 3D engineered like knitting strategy like applied to the knits, which you know ultimately like tell me about that process and like what you used it for. Well um this, the next generation needed um, a visual language that would set them apart from the union. And this is the next generation of our serial superheroes, right? Yeah, they're the next yes. generation, the descendants of our original six and or the event that happens on the island. Correct. Um, you know, so those, that next generation and specifically the, the generation that was um, Paragon and, um, uh, not Paragon, sorry, Petra and Ruby Red and Ghost Beam and, you know, all on down the line. Mm -hmm. um, they needed a visual language that set them apart from, from the union. And I felt strongly that sneaker tech was the aesthetic to do that. I know that I drove everyone out of their mind um, with just the amount of research that I had because I was just so you know, invigorated by it. It just had so many endless possibilities. And um, 
one of the endless possibilities, which really is an infinite um, possibility, was that aha crazy moment when I found this industrial video that Nike had um, had done on Flyknit. And it was this single knit weaving um, into ultimately the shape of a shoe. Yeah. And I had found that by finding this really odd sort of red druid um do you remember the red druid i do the red druid, <laughs> the red druid um well we thought it was a druid uh texture that was again through a series of like going into 3d engineering um knitting that i just thought might be a process that we could explore mm -hmm. and see if we couldn't get our uh, you know our hands on a, a, a process that we knew about and infuse the, that thinking into building superheroes in a new and innovative way. And um, through that video, um, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to remember this, but like, you know, I found these flashing ideas embedded in them that said infinite possibilities, virtually seamless, breathable and acts like second skin. And I'm like, that just, you know, that just described a superhero costume. You know, yes. it's compressive. Um, it's like you get multiple patterns, multiple colors, um, all kinds of depth. You don't need to print on top of it. It's not embossing. It's none of that stuff. And um, so I just have one of the best assistants in the world. Um, I'm just going to be partial to that, Kate Pickering. And I just was like, we've got to find a person that knows how to do this. Well, she not only helped find the person, she actually found the developers and innovators of Flyknit. Right. And we were able to work with those people uh, to develop the first of its kind superhero costume that we actually knitted. Um, in, in theory, it could have just spit out as a tube and she could have stepped into it. We could have added a zipper or you know, a closure of some sort. But um, we decided to do it in, you know, cut and sew sort of components, but that has never been done before. And these people also, you know, make Yeezy and they make parts mm -hmm. for the SpaceX spacesuits and Tesla. Um, so we just literally, again, this was, <laughs> it was just a serendipitous moment. But mm -hmm. the other thing is, is that how that video changed our life was twofold. It also in it with that single knit technology, and this is the day that I'm sure you'll remember when I came mm -hmm. running down the hall and I was like, you guys look at this because that single um, thread is weaving something that ultimately turned out to be the freaking red druid, which was the nose cone of an L, uh, of a airplane. Yep. And and then it was like, wait a second, now this all makes sense for the mythology or our thesis for a self-regenerating, self-manifesting self suit that we had put into, you know, the, the, the mythology, we did that, uh, mm -hmm. into the mythology of the, of the union, because there, we, there had to be an explanation on how those suits manifested themselves during this um, thing. So anyway, that to me was our biggest, like, aha moment it was a huge one and i think something that people need to know too is liz has just gone you see how excited she's getting about this like one <laughs> aha moment right but no but what that states is 
it's incredibly complex to try to translate things, especially from a comic book to screen. And what you're hearing in the excitement is, it's like, I always talk about costume design and character design as it's like you're trying to solve a puzzle, but you're creating the pieces yourself. So you're literally past the script and the material and all of those things. When you sit down and figure out who the character is, you're almost like, it's like dumping out a puzzle box and then trying to put the pieces back together, but you never know where those pieces are gonna come from. So like finding that, that piece of reference that Liz just talked about was like almost finding like the big middle part to the puzzle. And then you just put all the rest of the pieces around it. Um, but you're searching for moments like that when you're trying to design because it's the one thing that held our world together. And at least bare minimum, even if the audience never got or never understands exactly what we were thinking, it's the one thing that keeps those costumes to where they're all linked together and mentally they went into a direction, right? So that's something that you guys should all pay attention to that that it, that exploratory, because I remember she literally did run down the hallway and she's like, look at this. Like she was very excited about it. And it's one of those things where it did, we all started getting excited because we all started saying like, and every artist starts going, oh, that means, and oh, that means, and oh, and then we all start sending each other pictures and it's like this big, like massive, like, oh, like point of inspiration. Um, and those moments are really important, you know? Yeah, they are. And I, we had the benefit of having some of the greatest minds in this business, you being, you know, uh, definitely a, a, an integral part of that, like, in a think tank. And so that that moment gave agency to my wild mm -hmm. thinking and mm -hmm. to, you know, you know, it wasn't like I set out to um to outdo anybody. Yeah. Um I really I just didn't want to be derivative because I felt this was a very clean opportunity to be fresh um yes. and, and try things differently and and put our own um stamp on Miller world, you know what I mean? Finding yeah. a way that not everything has to go this way, but this was, this, you know, there's a big, big giant job that needed some other approach. Um, but it, it just gave such agency to, to what we were. I know there's a lot of people that actually in a nice way were calling me relentless and that's okay. <laughs> it, it, this is the thing, and that's completely okay. One of the things when Liz says this, it's a joke, but it's true, which means that it's she was relentless in wanting to make sure that we did something different. And in order to do something different, especially if you know human nature, humans, I like to say they like to file things on the shelf. In our nature, you just want to say, I know exactly what this is. I put it on the shelf, and now I don't have to stress about it. And I think for superheroes and things like that, we've gotten into a point where we've kind of filed like we know what that is. And Liz said, no, I want to push this medium forward. I want to try to do something different. I want like right down to silhouette, shape, color palette, all of those things. She looked at what was available and she looked at how people have done it. And she looked at all those things and she very much so honored that. But she pushed she relentlessly said, okay, great. You guys filed this off the shelf. And every time we would try to put something here, she'd be like, nope, let's take that back. Let's take it off the shelf and let's figure it out. And I think that that was probably 
one of the things that really did help get us all moving in the direction was just saying we must try something different or we must not just do the same old same old and the same like she really tried to do that and i think that that uh having a leader like that that was also open to expanding out i think the, the end result really shows that so thank you very much so for that thank you i mean i think you know i think orson wells said that um you know this business is a series of divine accidents yeah. And we found a lot of, um, I love that statement. And I think that um, the other thing is, is that this like oversaturated genre has sophisticated audiences that are looking for something fresh. Yes. So whether, whether it's the story or the point of view or the cinematography or whatever it is, this one I think is gonna be the costumes because I think that we, broke a little ground in some of the things that we we're doing and i think that's why it you know the fan reaction is a little sick um and and also in our industry you know there's there's a, a lot of people going how did you do that um but there's you know brainwaves fabric was a total happy accident if you'll recall like you know we right. printed that 40 times and then finally something came back and I was so frustrated and then I stretched it over an arm and when I stretched it it like lit up like someone had you know electrified it and I was just like that's I didn't plan for that but that's his fabric and everyone kept yeah. saying no this is something else we could do this I'm like no that's the fabric just don't even bring me anything else we're going for that turned out that was his fabric but um you know that's part of the process the in, in that process, I want to ask specifically because you did do a lot of work with this particular thing, but talk to me about the color palette, because you did really focus on color palette when you're talking about fabric color palettes a huge part of that. Right, well, there's there's a color palette um, implied definitely in in the comic books. Yes, correct. And so much of that was, um, you know, we kept those color palettes uh, in paying homage to the, the you know the designs and the iconic um colors because as, as fate will as it's being displayed with the fan reaction is that they wanted to see those parallels they were looking for um you know oh you have to be true to the comic book i didn't i didn't personally expect that i just intuitively felt like it was so important to keep and retain those certain mm -hmm. things in the places that we were able to be wild and go out on our own were you know certainly brandon uh, paragon and petra and whatnot because those colors weren't um those costumes weren't even in in the comic book but um you know like sky fox there was no way that we could change his color palette and i was so inspired by these two very odd you know they look golden age colors almost but you know in th in theory they're really not and i i thought um one thing is is creating an emotional color palette that travels the expanse of this hundred plus years um started with getting to know these people in 1929 because it, it, if you don't understand them as who they are uh when you meet them in 1929 you won't understand them as superheroes so that color palette and and little easter eggs if you will of those colors were carried all the way through sky mm -hmm. fox being the most obvious one where you know he's sitting there eating 100 eggs and he's got his eggplant colored suit on and mm -hmm. there was little hints of purple and all of his things he has a little you know 
a, a tiny little um, diamond with ruby eyed sky uh, fox tie pin that is always on his costume somewhere. Um, but some of the things, and you know very much when we were doing Lady Liberty that we tried to stray away, I kept bringing you things that was like black and this and that and the other mm -hmm. thing. And even just kept bringing us back around. And 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 I the reasons for that were right. And, and mm -hmm. again, we didn't know that we were gonna get this kind of reaction and being, um, keep retaining that integrity was huge. I think that one of the things that for me, and I think people need to know this, especially like, you know, your producers and directors and showrunners and all those things, especially with comic book materials or like stuff that, that can be canon where like comic book fans are really going to be looking at it. I, I'm of the fan, like I'm a huge nerd or a comic book nerd. I'm not of the fan where things have to be exactly like where I'm like going to be like, that must be, but what I want to see or what inspires me, like when I go to the movies. I want to see something that harkens on every part of my imagination from reading this thing or looking at it, but it expands it far past what I would have ever been able to imagine myself while still looking at the person. Like, I want to be able to look at it and be like, that's brainwave. I don't want to be like, is that brainwave? I want to know that's brainwave, but he's so far past what I would have ever imagined that thing to be, yet he still looks like himself. I think when you find that pocket, it's so important, but it's also, it's perfect. And I feel like Jupiter's does that. Like you can't say that we were like, mm, white doesn't work. So we're just gonna change Utopian's color. Like he's fully yeah. dressed. It's a full superhero in all white, but he looks badass, you know? Like yeah. White is not the for most formidable color, is it? And it was <laughs> fairly daunting to be handed an all white superhero, especially yeah. when he was constantly being splattered with blood and, um, mm -hmm. you know, going through all kinds of different um, fighting scenarios that we just like that costume is never going to last. Um, and I think that us adding in his texture, which then became the, it was, it's the most important thing that we developed that yeah. takes you all the way through the story. Those um radial celestial patterns that are all over his costume that we um early i mean that was like in september of 2018 mm -hmm. we brought that to the table um that is unpacked continuously in the story and in sheldon's odyssey to the island um and and adding the gray to sort of break him up was um, was something very, very important um, as well. And, you know, it's a subtle shift, like outside, you can't really see it. Inside, you can, you know, you get those um, lighting shifts from it. Mm -hmm. um, but you're right. I think people are having a hard time figuring out what's different about that costume because um, it looks just like the comic. And then if you hold it up, sometimes it's not anywhere near it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I just think we obviously, that was another kind of amazing recipe that um, the, all the chefs brought, brought it and we got the perfect ingredient to just have that perfect hypnotic blend that like when you're looking at, you know, Lady Liberty, Utopian, Blue Bolt. I mean, you just, the, the costumes are vastly different um, in certain areas than the comic book, but they still feel like they um, are what, what is there, that what was in the 
course they uh, they honor it and i actually remember um that one of the bigger compliments that we got was actually from frank quietly and i remember you telling us that he was so taken aback by the costumes in terms of even just like uh saying that he wished he could draw like the costumes are so intricate that obviously that the reason they draw comic books the way they draw them is because you have to draw the character multiple times so you can't have something that's super super complicated because you're drawing it for multiple frames so to have him be able to be like i wish that i could draw them at this like at this level all the time was a huge compliment it was and he came to our set Um, and no one told me he was coming. So I came out of a production meeting and opened the door. He was standing there with his entire family that all, by the way, have the enormous grin on their face. And they're just awesome. Hi. And he came into the costume department and he just was like, he looked like he was 12. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, just grinning from ear to ear. And I was grinning from ear to ear because I almost had a heart attack. It was so unprepared. And, you know, despite what is happening here today, I'm like incredibly shy. So um, he, uh, I showed him the superhero costumes and he grabbed the utopian costume and held it up to him and started like smiling. And he's like, this is the most beautiful thing. And I was just like, I'm going to pass out. Yeah. <laughs> the minute he and his family left the room and he was so complimentary, he was like, I can't believe this. This is, you know, so beautiful. And that's what sparked that converse, you know, that comment that he made. Yeah. Um, that the minute he left the room, I literally fell on the floor and everybody in Canada was like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, why, no, why would I be it's like, do you that's know who that was? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the greatest compliment I think I've ever got. Like, you know, it's like, it, it was an unbelievable recognition. And, and amazing. And, and also, I think well-deserved. Like I said, I when I would watch stuff when I was younger, the thing that I loved the most is when I finally, when something finally got made, what is when you know that the person really delved in and tried to honor it, but also push it to something you could have never imagined. And I feel like the side-by-side comparisons of the characters from the book versus what the costume department did are not only, they're close, but they're just, they elevate the source material. And I think that's the best thing. They both work together. And what's cool about that um, is that it's like, if you're talking about like product, like a product, right? you get the comic book, but then the television show is its own thing, but the two complement each other. And that's probably the best thing that you can do is to have something to where the TV show is telling a story. It's, you know, linear, it's similar, but it's also giving you something that you can't, it's good to have something to where both of them don't give you the exact same thing. And I love, I love that. Like they're different mediums. Um, And I think you did a really good job with that. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, we did a really good job. I, there's, I, I don't know that I use the eye um, very much. <laughs> I didn't do any of this by myself. I was just so fortunate to have you, the visual development team and every single, I mean, the and piece, specialty, everybody. specialty costume shops, like everything. Yeah. I mean, the imp- you can see the imprints of every pair of hands of those 120 people in these costumes. I don't look at anything, the period, the superhero, um, you know, the crazy murder of crows that is Hutch's gang, nothing. Uh, I, they all 100%, you can see all the imprints, you know, yeah. and that was, that was something um, 
that was something spectacular. I, I, I'm a little lost for words when I think about it. I get kind of choked up because I just don't know that how we're ever going to recreate that magic. It was a lot of magic and I, I would love, I would love to recreate it. We talk about it often. It just was a really great time. It was a great experience. Um, it was a lot of hard work, um, a lot of different, you know, wearing many different hats um, and I would do it all over again. So I want to say thanks to Liz. And I also want to say, did you have any final musings on Jupiter's uh, just while everyone's here? Because oh, it's God. such a um, the, well, I mean, the, the amount of support that has come through social media and um, fan reaction from all over the globe has obviously um, kept us number one for two weeks. And mm -hmm. I have to be honest, even though this has always been an, an, a giant project, and I believed in it 100%, I would have to, uh, to, have, to have done the work that we did. Um, I just did not expect this. And I think that this show is an investment, um, a big investment, because at the end of the day, it's an opportunity to get in on the ground level um, in this genre. And um, the possibilities are kind of endless, but if you add it to your portfolio, which I highly suggest, I'm not just plugging the show, I mean it sincerely, because um, there is a giant at you know, epic is a nice word. It's getting totally overused like badass, but like there's yeah, an epic, 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 yeah. There's a big multicultural, multi-generational story here that can unpack for a very long time and get better. But if you add this to your portfolio, I believe that there's an enormous payoff. I, th yeah. I think we've already seen a pretty damn good return. Um, and 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 not to put it in financial terms, um, but you know, that that actually to me is why you like these kinds of shows they're an investment yeah. you find something you can relate to or, or you know there's something in it that you aspire to be there's an escape hatch whatever the story is for you um but this show has everything i mean this this show this comic book series that mark miller and frank quietly did has everything it really does. And I'm, I'm, I'm feel very grateful from the very beginning that we were all able to be a part of it because it's something that um, it just, it turned out in a way that like even I wasn't expecting and the, the level of detail and things that we were able to bring to this were just quite amazing. So thank you, Liz, for sharing uh, all of these, these, these uh, gems with us. Um, I hope everybody at home has gotten an opportunity to kind of sit with Liz and understand the, the extreme amount of process that she did for Jupiter's legacy and just in general, how she approaches design um, at large. Um, I want to be, before we close out, I want to ask you, Liz, if there's, uh, uh, if you can tell our, uh, our viewership how to follow you or where they can follow you on social media. Oh dear, you think I know my own um, my <laughs> own uh, handle? I believe I'm the Big Bad Wolf 44. That's terrible. That is, okay. that is correct. That's correct. Um, there you go. Because um, social media is another aspect of trying to get better at it. <laughs> I need to bring some innovation to it. Why creating content co takes me so long? I don't know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm there and I'm I'm rarely seeing I'm a little elusive on Twitter, but I believe I'm also the the big bad wolf 44 on Twitter, right? Yes. That's it. That those are the only two things I can keep the balls in the air at the moment. I am yeah. at 
at Phil underscore Boutte on Instagram. So if you can't find Liz, follow me because I tag her often. <laughs> and on Twitter, I'm at P Boutte. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us today. Um, I want to give a special shout out to producer and founder Martika Ibarra and co-founder costume designer Marilyn Vance. Um, our wonderful guest Liz, I want to give her a shout out again and say thank you so much for being here. Um, and I'm going to thank our sponsor Vincent Lapis at, uh, with Los Angeles Performing Arts Conservatory, which provides training in acting, screenwriting, and filmmaking for beginners, advanced artists, as well as those that are transitioning into English speaking markets. Um, so follow us, please sure, be sure to check in on our, uh, our official website, um, YouTube, um, iTunes uh, for Designing Hollywood Podcast, and we will see you again. Thank you so much. Thank you to our sponsor, Gardena Cinema. Gardena Cinema is the only old-fashioned, single-screen, standalone neighborhood movie theater still in operation in the South Los Angeles area. Owned and operated by Judy Kim and the Kim family since 1976. Gardena Cinema has been able to transition to outdoor cinema in the parking lot for an intimate drive-in experience and has hosted movie shoots, music video shoots, and still photo shoots for an authentic vintage-looking location. Thank you to our viewers. Be sure to follow and subscribe to Designing Hollywood Podcasts on social media and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Deezer, and the YouTube channel for complete past and current episodes. Also, we're now available on Amazon and Siri Voice Search.